Welcome to the MBS Podcast, Episode 5. I'm joined today with Daniel Ivey from MBS, Sean Winter, local housing advocate and owner of Hot Winter Hot Sauce, and Sean Farrell, local housing advocate as well. Daniel? Thanks, Dallas. Uh, so the MBS Podcast is... Brought to you by Yimby Eugene Springfield, or Yimby Yes. Uh, we're a nonprofit devoted to making housing more affordable for all residents of our cities. Uh, Yimby stands for Yes in My Backyard because we want to stand for the idea of welcoming diversity into our neighborhoods across all spectrums, including race, socioeconomic status, and housing types. We'll be discussing housing politics and policy on this podcast from a similarly diverse array of perspectives. If you know someone who might want to make their voice heard, please reach out to us at yimbyyes at gmail.com or visit our page at www.facebook.com slash yimbyyes. That's Y-I-M-B-Y-E-S. So thanks for joining us uh, today, fellas, Sean and Sean. Hopefully the voices will be different enough that they can kind of tell you apart. This is podcast land. I'll try um, and drop to a lower register to make it obvious. There you go. Good, <laughs> good call. Good call. So um, I think we'll start with uh, with Sean Winter. Um, I appreciate you joining us. Sean Farrell has been on the podcast before, but Sean is a newcomer here. Um, and, uh, you know, I think that for starters, I just want to kind of uh, pick your brain a little bit. I'm just getting to know you for the first time here, and I'm I'm just kind of interested. Um, you know how long you've been showing up to city council meetings. It's it's relatively new for me, um, and uh, you know how often you speak, and uh, you know make your voice heard and whatnot, because you had some really cool things to say uh, on Monday. So, um, I've been going for maybe six months, off and on. Um, a friend of mine, as a journalism project has been has been writing up a short review of city council meetings mm -hmm. um, he goes every to every meeting he tries to and um, I started going just to kind of accompany him and started speaking at most of the meetings that I go to because mm -hmm. it's rare that there isn't something worth responding to mm -hmm. yeah um. Is, is affordable housing specifically kind of a hot button issue for you or was it just kind of the, you know, the response that you made just kind of based on, on Mike Clark's sort of uh, position or, or, is, or is housing particularly oh, of, of, of interest? I have pretty strong feelings about affordable housing. Thank you. I, yeah, I mean, I mean it's, it's, pretty, it's pretty central. And my, my, I moved Eugene from Portland uh, because my wife is uh, in the graduate program for architecture here at U of O, and um, especially through that through the lens of, of my wife studying architecture and moving from uh, a city, um, Eugene's lack of affordable housing and also lack of public planning is just it's just really obvious. It's hard mm -hmm. to ignore. Yeah. Um, especially coming from Portland, and in part. We were excited to come to Eugene because Portland is so expensive. Mm -hmm. um, but Portland, in addition to rising rents and gentrification, also has a booming economy and, and rising incomes, mm -hmm. which Eugene does not have. Right. And it's a little cheaper in Eugene, but not really. And, not and, to the extent that you're going from a city 10 times the size you know, no, and, and a I metropolitan was, area. You know. I was actually looking at, at the U.S. Census quick facts, um, which obviously are, I don't know, they're, they're last updated from 2017. Mm -hmm. They had some figures comparing 
median income with median rents. Mm -hmm. And that ratio is actually worse in Eugene than it is in Portland or San Francisco. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, so yeah, it, it's it's just kind of an obvious problem. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, that's... Uh, I think that whenever you talk about housing, there isn't a single person that isn't affected by it. You know, renters, homeowners. Um, I think we're in a in this in this weird sort of position where homeowners feel this uh, the sense of dissociation from it because they're benefiting from it in some way. But I think that if you see the writing on the wall, it's it's just a matter of time before we hit 2009 again, unless we do something about, you know. Well, I mean, yeah. I mean, homeowners are a cartel. They are, and they are part of the problem. Um, Broadly speaking, um, it, it the economic system that we have is set up such that um, you know people who own and people who rent are on kind of a, a zero sum game, mm -hmm. and um, their interests are just diametrically opposed. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's interesting trying to get homeowners involved in the conversation. I mean, uh, renters just recently overtook homeowners in terms of the majority in Eugene. I don't know that they have great data for you for Springfield or for the county as a whole, but um, uh, I mean, the three of us, we're all homeowners. And I think that, um, you know, one of the things that- <laughs> It's reason for me. It's reason for you. It's, I mean, I don't know, we've been, uh, we've owned our home for about six or seven years, but um, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's weirdly difficult to me to get people on board with the idea of you know, voting for um, policies and advocating for policies that don't just benefit oneself. And, um, and that is, you know, it's a, it's an uphill battle, but it's one that I think that I am certainly willing to fight. I think that, you know, uh, when, when we have conversations about it, it's very important to identify as a homeowner, I think, because a lot of people, I mean, I've gotten a lot of comments already um, that are just like, how are you not, you know, uh, th this perspective doesn't make sense for, the, for what you're kind of advocating for. You must be lying about your position or you must be a <laughs> land developer. I've been accused of a bunch of times and it's just like, nope, just a single family homeowner that believes that, you know, housing should be affordable for everybody. But sorry that there's no witch here. <laughs> but, um, uh, okay, cool. So, um, so what, uh, I don't know, just, just kind of a question for everybody, really. I mean, you know, we've, we've passed CET, um, it's kind of. It, it kind of, you know, it's, it's not the best that it possibly could be, but, um, you know, looking to the future, we can kind of think about what to do, uh, next about affordable housing. Um, in that context, is there anything, uh, you know, specific that is that you're passionate about, or that, that that's been brought up at City Council. You know, recently that you're like, oh, that 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 has the potential to be the next big thing. Or, well, I mean, so so I watched a little bit of the video of of the work session that happened before the public comment period, uh, in which the new police commissioner um, requested twenty two, twenty three million dollars for mm. more data-based policing um, and I think that that's related to affordable housing in part because the plea that the police are making for more money is because people feel uncomfortable the real reason people feel uncomfortable is at the site of unhoused persons and the city's response rather than to house these people is to throw millions of dollars at more policing right um, which is just really circular and both 
um, it, it's wrong from a moral perspective. It's wrong from an economic yeah. perspective. I mean, they're functionally criminalizing poverty. Oh, yeah. I mean... And the, assuring that we'll have more of it. Yeah. I, I, I guess I'm a bit concerned with the idea that the CET has such, like, when I was there hearing them vote positively on it, it seemed like it was a victory, but I'm, I'm not one of these, one of the people who's been, who's been in a lot. Right. And I heard a lot of fake CET kind of talk and right. people talking about how we're really just moving money around. And I get that it's not the win you, you wanted, ideally, but it still feels like whatever construction now happens in Eugene is functionally tantamount to demanding that the city apply part of their budget to affordable housing. So right. there's a win there, right? I mean, yeah. am, I, am I not reading that right? I, I think that depending on who you talk to, you know, I, it, it's really interesting too, um, because the person, the counselor, uh, Chris Pryor, who, who sort of originally proposed the motion to remove the 1% and move it to a, uh, you know, a, a sort of a tentative status after the second sure. year, as opposed to being guaranteed. Um, he's the biggest affordable housing advocate on the on the entire council. I mean, he's on lane housing. He's on a housing policy board with me. Like it's. Sure. I mean, he's very. Um, I, I think that his vote in that regard was, uh, you know, he, he uh, in a lot of ways he's he's been working on it for the entire time for the, the entire time we've been trying to make it go since about a year and a half ago when when housing policy board first said let's let's try for the CET and I think that um, so so yeah there's there's a desire to um, to be political about it to 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 please as many people as possible in in the effort to actually get it to to pass I think that if he hadn't made that change. Um, you know, I don't know. I don't know if we'd have the CET or not. But I mean, it, it was a close like vote. It was level. a very close vote. Yeah. I guess um, I don't. I don't understand how how precious those general fund dollars are. Like, do they spend them down to down to zero every year? I mean, is, this is one of those things where I wish I had more. There's context. just more. I think the, the the impression that I get is that there's just more strings attached. Um, you don't necessarily want to rely on general fund dollars sure. for things like affordable housing. You want to rely on something that's specifically earmarked for affordable housing, and that's that's what that's what this essentially does. And then also, let's not forget the fact that although there are um, system development charge waivers in the first two years for developers, um, after those two years, it presumably that would go away, and then the, the tax would all be for affordable housing from that point forward. So. I think that there were people who were who were pretty upset about the the fact that they were getting a bit of a tax break while they sort of eased into it, um, but um, but yeah, um, I want to uh, and, we, and we'll talk more about CET too as we kind of go on here, but. Um, I am really interested in just kind of hearing uh, from you, Sean Winter, about um, you know your response to, to Mike Clark, and uh, and uh -huh. you know I, I think that um, I, I think that it was really courageous to kind of stand up and, and do something like that. I think that um, and you know in the end the mayor was maybe a little annoyed that it was that it was you know taking up attention, but at the same time I think that it was warranted. I mean, I, almost everybody that I talked to after the last one was just like, I want to take that bet. You know, I want to, but like, I, I, I don't know. I didn't, I didn't um, have the, uh, the, the cojones or the, you know, whatever you want to call it to kind of, to kind of get up. So I want you to talk a little bit about your thought process. What, what moved you to kind of speak up and, and say something about it? Well, I, I thought, I thought I was very upset after, after hearing Clark um, uh, harass uh, citizens speaking at the council. Um, I thought it was uncalled for. Mm -hmm. I think the the condescension that he gives citizens speaking 
is very insulting. Um, it's unprofessional to say the least. Um, and it also belies his general disingenuousness when talking about the need for civility. Um, right. You know, he likes people to be civil when criticizing him. Um, you know, you know, he passes ordinances which directly affect people's ability to scrape together meager livelihoods, and then he complains about the incivility of their reaction to him. Right. Um, you know, their the constituents' incivility is is in saying things that he doesn't like hearing. His own incivility is in uh, passing ordinances that are actual acts of violence on people. So let's talk about. I mean, what are some specific ones that? You're well, I know. Of? I know that you know it was Clark that proposed the 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 panhandling ban right. under the under the guise of enforcing public safety, which is just. You know, it's just it's so dishonest. There's literally, it's dis yeah. there's it's, just literally no reported cases of it. It's utterly, <laughs> you know, I think there was somebody else who I don't know everyone's name, but somebody else had responded, you know, that that no one has ever been struck by a car who's passing money to a homeless person because that car is by definition stopped. Right. You know, no one is is going thirty miles an hour and just flinging money out the window right. like this is at a stopped vehicle and mm -hmm. there's no incidences of a motionless vehicle striking someone because that's just how physics works <laughs> and I mean it, it's asinine it, it comes down to to people like Clark don't like seeing poor people it makes them uncomfortable um, there was a woman who spoke at the last meeting I I think really well about how you know, seeing people who aren't doing well makes her feel guilty. And, you know, it can be difficult. It, it you know, the fact of their existence belies certain inequities in our society that are uncomfortable to deal with. That is real. Mm -hmm. It is uncomfortable. It's not as uncomfortable as being unhoused, but it's an uncomfortable feeling. <laughs> right. Um, People like Clark don't like seeing this. People like Clark think that um, the way to grow an economy is to make a place look nice, get rid of the homeless people, and then magically businesses will spring up and mm -hmm. start selling things. And that's not really how economies work. That's not really how people work. Um, I think it, it's, a, it's an amoral way of existing, and it also isn't really helping any any real business engine mm -hmm. um you know the way to like like the way to attract businesses and people to the city is to make the city a, a better place to live in right um More you know to, neighborhoods you know you know like like people um you know the whole like like broken windows theory of policing you know wherein you need to be really strict on on petty crime um, you know, to you know, to encourage bigger crime, and that's how you make people feel safe and make a community. Like, like the other way of thinking about broken windows policing is to fix the damn windows. <laughs> like, like yes. Eugene is like walk around downtown Eugene. Why are there so many parking lots? Yeah. There's there's this this weird situation in which there's nowhere to park, and yet there's nothing but parking lots because. There's all of these parking lots that belong to single businesses where only patrons of that business are allowed to park, even though 
there's no reason that like Togo's is going to have 30 patrons at any one time. It's impossible. Togo's are ambrosia or, like in the middle of the day. You know, pick on a one. Tuesday. Why yeah. is there a tire factory in downtown Eugene? There should never ever be a tire store in in the downtown core of your city. Yeah. Or you're a suburb. Right. Why are we a suburb? Why did we talk about housing for weeks and weeks and weeks and never mention the fact that Eugene, a city of 170,000 people, has a university with 20,000 students mm -hmm. right in town? How many of those students live on campus? About 4,400. Where do the other kids live? They live in our city making up about 10% of the population. You can't talk about economics and supply and demand as if this is a natural marketplace with that kind of market distortion. Mm -hmm. Like, that's 10% of our population are students. They are definitely here. They're here for a temporary period of time and they're basically hostage to this marketplace and they're coming uh, based on market forces unrelated to our geography uh, and they're by definition, a transient population. So until we deal with that situation um, and, and, and work on legislating something between the university and the state and the city, like we're gonna get nowhere on affordable housing yeah. because all of these students are a, a gross distortion on our market. And that's, I, that's a really great transition because I, I really want to talk about um, accessory dwelling units too because I think that that's the next, um, sort of one of the next major battlefronts where we can kind of, uh, you know, create a situation where there's more infill. I mean, there, there is Senate Bill 2001, which I think is, uh, you know, has decent uh, uh, chances of getting passed. Uh, it's in the it's in the state house now. It's, you know, it's on its way to the Senate, I think. Um, it has the votes uh, and that will that will change residential zoning to allow for different housing typologies. But um, but accessory dwelling units specifically is an area where if we lift some of the code restrictions that exist right now, it can create opportunity for more housing for students uh, throughout the city without actually increasing, um, you know, without actually changing the, the landscape of the city or, or, you know, in a way, in a lot of ways, I think satisfying some of the people that are, that are so against, um, you know, the idea of the neighborhoods changing. Uh, even though there are a fair amount of arguments that um, that if we <laughs> that if we you know do have an accessory dwelling unit that's you know more than ten feet high, it'll like prevent vegetable growth in a, in a neighboring garden or something like that. Um. I've never had a problem building another tier on my uh, on my flower beds uh, on my vegetable beds. All all of my beds are raised beds now because my neighbor's fence is tall. I, it also means I don't have to hurt my my old back as I lean over. It's yeah. a solvable problem. Yeah. This, that's not a deal breaker. Yeah. It's imaginary. Sure. Um, so I want to uh, also spend a little bit of time, you know, just kind of picking brains on the, uh, the you know, the people that came out in force to talk about 5G uh, as we kind of transition to talking more about the, uh, the city council public forum. Um, I, you know, I don't necessarily want to dig in too much into the, idea of pro versus con on 5g i'm pretty pro 5g i think that you know like with many things that cause health concerns it is unfortunate that that there are people that um you know that suffer from adverse health conditions as a result of 5g but i think that um you know uh it's there's just not enough data i, I don't think one way or the other to like make a make a firm stance and and at the end of the day that we don't really have much control over 
you know, I, I guess, I, I mean, I guess we can kind of open the floor. Like, what is the, um, the thing that I'm really interested in, in, in getting into is how does the, do the, do the 5G people um, affect housing? And, and is there and is there a crossover there, um, you know, between people that are saying, no, I don't want this cell tower in my backyard versus people that are saying, no, I don't want, you know, development of any kind in my neighborhood? I mean, at some level, I think there is there is a big crossover, but there was a weird I think there was a weird disconnect specifically in, in this last city council meeting where the beginning of the meeting, the mayor literally was saying, like, we hear you. We are compelled by this message but also there is a legal challenge here that we have not been able to overcome yet. And I, I actually talked to one of the, one of the, the attorneys that, that uh, uh, advises the mayor afterward, and they were saying that the mayor's actually signed on for, to a, a bill that they're having challenging this action, uh, not a bill, uh, an action in the Supreme Court, challenging the right of people to come take that, not, not just because they are pro or against 5G, but literally just there is this land use issue where right. they believe they should have control. So it's there's a weird, like with that cadence at the beginning where they're saying like, I get, you know, we're not even in this bit of the conversation. We're trying to get the right to disagree, which they don't have. I, I, I think it's a weird place, but I think that disagreement about whether or not it is a good thing, we're not even there. We're, we don't have the right to say not in our backyard now. That is a weird place to be. I mean, the very action, the very fact that so many people are passionate against it. Again, I don't know that I, I don't know how I feel about five G. Like I went yeah. down the conspiracy rabbit hole. You heard my tinfoil hat nonsense. Like <laughs> maybe, maybe I don't care that that much about being better at League of Legends. But you know, I, I just, it is a strange place to not be in control of saying what is toxic in your neighborhood. Right. Yeah. But at the same note, I guess five G for me if I don't have 5G, nobody else suffers. If I don't allow a, a, a low-income housing development next to me because I'm, I'm really strong, I'm, I'm measurably affecting someone. Yeah. So I think, I think it's a weirdly, I think it's a weird situation to be in listening to a city council meeting with people strongly, you know, emotionally invested in this 5G thing and I guess I don't feel that same bit of passion coming from the affordable housing side, which to me is a, that's a black and white issue. Right. There is a man who collects my cans every week when I put them out. What is functionally trash for me that I just put in a different bin because my daughter would, would not deal with the fact that I, I threw away a, an aluminum can. Right. He goes to that bin every day. I, I, I recognize him. Mm -hmm. He lives in my neighborhood. I know he doesn't live indoors. Right. Yeah, and, and the thing that's other, that's just weird to me too is that I, you know, I talk to people who are very pro 5G and they are, they talk, there's a lot of rhetoric around like 5G is gonna change the world. It's gonna like revolutionize the way that we do business or it's gonna like allow for smart cars to exist or it's going to, and when I like that's really try to- problem with it. And when I, well, yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, smart car, I mean, you know, say what you will about driverless cars and, and, and how luxurious they are. It's like putting more cars on the road doesn't seem like a way to solve anything, whether or not they are gas or electric. But the, um, 
the uh, yeah, and when I try to really dig into online, like okay, what? Tell me what the golden goose is here. Like, tell me what the you know what the what the what it's going to save, like what it's going to do, and and you see like you know the five killer apps that are going to be possible with five G, or you hear things about like smart bandages that will you know track your healing and report that back to the doctor, or you hear things like virtual reality, physical therapy, and and the, all these things like sound really cool, but like, but yeah, but if there's a legitimate like health concern, like I don't you know. I also think that stuff is, is, is fairly disingenuous because I don't know that your smart bandage technology, that it's passing so much data that the current network simply can't handle. Well, yeah. I mean, I literally stream a video on Netflix almost nonstop. <laughs> is it sending a video's worth of data every moment? Is your doctor looking at it every second going like, his blood pressure's 146, it's 147, it's they're not. It's going to send periodic updates. There'll be small batches of measurable data. You don't need 5G. Yeah. You probably don't need dial-up speeds for that, that level right. of data. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it seems hard to think of the 5G as being related to anything other than driverless cars. And I think, I think it's worth opposing on, on that ground alone. Um, only because, you know, setting aside any issues of, of the environment, the extent to which that's going to drive just further further escape to exurbs and exurbs of exurbs. It just seems like a nightmare scenario. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I, I agree with what the other Sean said, that, that really all of the discussion, there's many interesting things to say for and against 5G, and that it would be, it would be interesting though to see more of that passion for things that don't affect these persons directly. Um, it seems like they're there because there happened to have been a thing installed within sight of their window, and that's why they're passionately speaking. Um, but as the other Sean mentioned, there are people looking through our cans and sleeping in wet sleeping bags in the cold, and that just feels a little more real and important than whether or not we might get attacked by more weird rays we can't see, which yeah. are all around us already, and for good or ill we're dealing with. Yeah. I mean, just as, as, as a cold reality, I have both in my life, I'm not now, I'm doing great, I have both in my life been in a position where I was choosing whether or not I was going to eat or my daughter was going to eat, and I've also had cancer. I don't recommend either. <laughs> But I can tell you, the cancer was a lot less concerning. Yeah. So, yeah. solve the immediate problem. <laughs> yeah, there, there Maybe is. some of yeah. those hungry people can figure out how to make a 5G technology that isn't possibly dangerous. <laughs> because I, I know a lot of smart people who have been very hungry in their lives, and they didn't invent anything other than what kept them fed for the periods where that's all they could do. Yeah. Poverty is not some sort of thing that makes people, you know, less qualified to be Anything. contributing to society. To society, If you can yeah. get people housed and you can get them fed, then whatever it is they can contribute to society comes, comes out. Otherwise, that drain that makes us think that they are somehow worth being policed because hungry people do desperate things, that, that's what we have to deal with. If you treat it like a police issue, Heck, if I was starving right now, absolutely I would commit a crime. Mm -hmm. If I thought I couldn't feed my daughter, 
yeah, your window's broken. <laughs> I'm a giant. I, I'm taking what I want to make sure my daughter, my daughter eats. So that's not really a criminal issue. That is, that is the society that we live in to protect ourselves isn't protecting us. Well, that's economic. Just, I mean, yeah, that's just human behavior. It's just, it, why that's, be just, so, that's the market reacting to a problem. It's like, yeah. <laughs> why be a society if we don't protect each other at the, at the very most basic level? Yeah. So, Housing. Yeah. 5G's neat. I don't care if it's in my backyard or not. Um, so I want to uh, transition a little bit. I, I, I love that we found room to, to, to get on our soapboxes there. Um, but I want to uh, I want to talk more about CET before we kind of part ways here, um, you know, for a few more minutes. Uh, I, you know, we can we can you know talk more about whether or not this is a win or a loss. I think that um, I think it's a net positive. I think it's not as good as it could have been. Um, but uh, but the one thing that I that I do really like is that you know Emily Semple wouldn't back down in terms of getting some sort of last minute change made and uh, and she like did it every single way that she possibly could until finally we got a we got a vote we got um, Councillor Syrat mm -hmm. from from the from the, the from the speakers on high you know giving the second uh, vote for the motion to get the. Uh, to get the cap lifted, and and I think that that was such a cool, um, you know, just just hearing a city councilor say like, yeah, if you can afford a two hundred million dollar project, you can afford to pay more than a million dollars for affordable housing, and that that just really rung true for me. I thought it was really cool. Yeah, I, I, on a similar note, and I guess kind of back to the to uh, to the mic bit, there was a bit of a tone of like, if we'd go this far we're not gonna get these investors into the area. Mm -hmm. And I think that that part of, I think that goes back to that disingenuous language. The idea that every builder is gonna move out of town, which is literally what was stated in the meeting as being this weird potential, it's absurd. Every construction company is booked out like three years. If, if Even if they did, if every constru <laughs> construction company left town, I'm picking up a hammer. <laughs> yeah. I, the, the, like, the city council spoke about people with hammers like they were mystical. Like, <laughs> like this isn't something that most people can do. We don't necessarily need to have hundred million dollar developments. Right. We actually we don't need these like OB multiplexes. Like, mm -hmm. like Eugene needs a whole bunch of three and four story construction. Mm -hmm. We don't need like two. 20-story buildings. We need like 300, two, three-story buildings. We need lots of small development. I, can't, um, I think it was. I think it was Tiffany. I can't remember who it was, but they were saying, and, and obviously this is a very different example. But um, but Paris has like 3.5 million people, and it's the same exact, or it's almost the same exact square footage area or square mile area as the city of Eugene. And you know, I'm not saying that we want to pack in the three and four units quite like Paris is, because it just looks like a, I mean, whatever it looks like. It, I mean, it, it is a beautiful city, but um, but the, uh, but yeah, it's 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 very telling of what the issue is. It's like it just seems like we need to do more of that. So. I mean, the reality is that we all live in this area. If you're, if you're. In the middle class and you're a homeowner, you probably also have a little bit of land. Like, even modest housing around here has a lot of room to, to spread out. That's, I mean, I don't live on a big piece of land and I feel super fortunate. You put that somewhere else in Paris, that's two or three or four families in the kind of space I have. Yeah. I'm not a rich man. 
Yeah, and I and I just and I and I also really just want to get away from the idea that you know again this is a popular you know Mike Clarkism, but he's very into the idea of expanding the urban growth boundary, which, which is something that that we need to talk to him about because um, that again walk around this city. Yeah, don't don't make it less hard. Don't make it more hard for the people on the fringes to reach the commerce. Like it's just. I mean, the, there's there's no excuse for, for the number of vacant lots that we have in downtown Portland, the number of single story commercial buildings that we have in downtown in downtown Eugene. It it's mind boggling. Mm-hmm. Like there's if 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 you have tire stores in your downtown core, you do not need to extend your urban growth growth boundary. <laughs> right. That's just period. You know That's a quote. And I going like back that. like like there's not <laughs> There's not that many cities on the West Coast to build in. It's not, you know, you know, where are these developers going to go? Right. These these so-called developers that we're chasing out. Mm-hmm. Um, what, like they go into Ashland? Right. You know, you know, there, there's Portland and San Francisco and not a whole lot in between. And so if you want to live on the West Coast and more people, only more people are leaving Portland. Right. Um, like, like now is the time to hold the earth in urban growth boundary um, and start working on the infill. Yeah. There is a lot of, of single-story construction in the downtown core, a lot of unused parking lots that can be repurposed before you ever start um, diminishing anyone's yard size mm-hmm. uh, within the city of Eugene. Yeah. Yeah. Well said. Um I want to talk a little bit about next steps. Um, I uh, there is a city planning commission meeting coming up on Tuesday. Uh, it's at five thirty, five thirty to seven thirty. They're going to be talking about um, uh, the clear and objective draft draft code changes. Um, they want to, uh, you know, the, there's a lot of. Um, conversation around uh you know lifting code restrictions things for adus things for uh you know making different types of housing typologies and really there haven't been a lot of voices in the city planning commission uh, specifically talking about that and talking about people's desire to have um you know different types of houses in their neighborhood and and unfortunately i think a lot of people don't but there's a lot of people that do and and i and i hope that those you know voices can be heard so that's on uh that's on um tuesday which i believe is the 16th yeah 16th um, then there's also uh, Springfield City Council meetings they're going to be talking about similar issues uh, on the 16th and also on the 22nd um, uh, so uh, you know make your voice heard and uh, please reach out to us at uh, yimby yes uh, at gmail.com or uh, go to our Facebook uh, page uh, facebook.com slash yimby yes um, I, uh, I, you know, we're, we're happy to, to talk to people about, um, about those upcoming discussions and, and give them the, the tools and the, and the resources to, uh, to have those conversations about those, you know, upcoming next steps. Um, before we part ways, any, any parting thoughts or, or ideas, any, any isms you want to share before we, uh, we cut loose here? All right. I think, uh, I think, I think we wrapped it up and I think, uh, I think we talked about some good things, so. Signing off.